This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the B Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 129 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. I focused a lot of my content on issues impacting the public schools, so when I connected with Tom Conroy, a Catholic school principal, I thought he'd bring an interesting perspective to the show, especially because I know that many of my listeners may be working with students who attend private schools. Tom Conroy is currently the principal of Our Lady of the Lake Catholic School in Verona, New Jersey. He retired from public school after 30 years and dove into the world of Catholic education. Tom has held both teaching and administrative positions on the elementary, 
middle, high school, and district levels. He served for eight years on the New Jersey Principal and Supervisor Association and completed his undergraduate and graduate work at Mount Clare State University. We start out this discussion by talking about some differences in private versus public education, but we transition to talking about topics that will be useful regardless of what K-12 setting you're in. In the episode, we discuss whether private schools have more resources and support than public schools, as well as some other differences that he's experienced on the leadership level, why a school curriculum should be a living document and tool for communication and not a scripted cookie cutter program, how to reform curriculum in a way that builds a culture of autonomy and how to create alignment across grade levels, buildings, and disciplines, including the related service providers, of course, We also discuss the inner workings of successful professional learning communities and why they can eliminate unproductive staff meetings and increase student performance. And we wrap up by talking about how to maintain a high level of rigor in standards and assessment protocols without teaching to the test or overemphasizing standardized tools. Before we get started, I wanted to talk about a tool that I've created to help people who are working in the school systems, and want to support executive functioning. It's called the Time Tracking Journal. So executive functioning support in the schools often consists of things like checklists, timers, and sticker charts, and other types of visuals. But the problem with those is that if students don't know how to do the internal planning that's required in order to figure out what to put on a checklist, or to know when to check a timer, or to know how to evaluate the steps along the way and estimate how long that they'll take, a checklist isn't really that helpful. So it's not that tools like this are bad, it's just that they're incomplete. And if this is the main strategy that you're using to support students' executive functioning, you're probably noticing that they're still struggling. Maybe they're still anxious about difficult tasks and they avoid things that they don't wanna do or struggle to complete their academic work or really anything that doesn't give immediate gratification. Maybe these students are complaining that they're bored and they don't persist through some of those tasks that require multiple steps or that are repetitive. And these also might be the students that lose track of their things and miss assignments and miss deadlines. And many times these students are also the ones that are having other behavioral issues, so different emotional outbursts, having a hard time self-regulating, those kinds of things. Many of these things can be tied back to executive functioning, and that's why if you are using a checklist with a student and you're just filling it out for them and just giving it to them, you're not really teaching executive functioning. You're essentially doing the executive functioning for students and not giving them the opportunity to practice those skills. So when we use tools like checklists or other cognitive strategies, we need to make sure that we're actually teaching the skills to engage in that internal planning that they need in order to complete those daily tasks that require multiple steps, whether it's a writing assignment or whether it's packing their bag in the morning. So I give you a tool for working through these multi-step tasks with the Time Tracking Journal. So to check out the Time Tracking Journal, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash time journal. Now, please enjoy this interview with Tom Conroy.
Today, I am joined by Tom Conroy, a retired school principal, and I know that you're currently a principal now, so welcome to the show, and I guess we can start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Karen, so much. Uh, again, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege, and I'm so happy that we were able to connect, and again, just in our other brief conversations, having so many similarities and things in common that it was a, a great opportunity to uh, to finally meet you and, and get a chance to speak with you. So I am a retired public school educator. I was in public school for 30 years, 22 as a principal, and I just, I needed a change. I needed something different, and kind of public school was really, I guess I, I reached my max as to where I thought I could go in public school and I thought that a good transition and a good change would be to try private education. So as of last year, almost one full year ago, I became the principal of Our Lady of the Lake Catholic School in Verona, New Jersey. So it's been a, a great year, a, a good learning experience, which I know we're going to talk about today and something that I, I hope that your, your listeners can get some information from. Yeah, well, and I know we had talked before, I, I actually did go to Catholic school until eighth grade, and then I switched over to public school. And it's it's just kind of interesting, because I know that a lot of people who are, are probably listening, some of them are in the public school, some of them might be in private practice or outpatient settings. So maybe seeing some clients who go to public schools, or there are people who if they are providing special ed services, might have some kind of a relationship with the private schools where they're providing services. And so it can be really, um, it can really vary, I know. So what, I guess what I would start off by asking you is what things do people not realize as far as the way that things work in public versus private? And what can you share about that? Yeah, wow. That's a, that's a, a really open-ended question. Yeah, because yeah. There are so many differences. Um, I, I like to think that after being in public school for so long that I, I knew everything that was coming up. I knew everything that had to be done. I knew when reports needed to be filed. I knew when the state reports were coming. We, you know, you really, it becomes second nature to you. Making this transition to, to private school, I, I, I felt completely lost, open and honest. I, it was a huge learning curve for me, everything from day one. It's completely different. I think one of the things that people may have a misconception about is that there there is more funding for private school because you have people that are paying tuition to come in and you you know you you have the best of the best and it's it's actually the the exact opposite at least mm -hmm. for a Catholic school. Um, the funding that we get from the archdiocese is funding that is necessary funding to keep the school open. But besides that, all of the teachers are paid through tuition. So the less tuition that you get, the less amount of students that you have, the more difficult it is to actually provide teachers with a raise that's really, I, I want to say, cost of living. Because yeah. sometimes in my, my research over the last several years is that some of the teachers, either they got zero raise or they didn't even come close to getting a cost of living raise. And the amount of money that they spend out of pocket. And I know for a Catholic school, people will say, well, it's a calling or, you know, it's part of your faith. And it, while it is, it, it is also, you know, necessary to have the listeners understand that, you know, whether you are a brand new teacher or a veteran teacher, the salaries are significantly less than public school. And even 
No, I, I can only talk about the situation I came into. Yeah. Some of the classrooms still have chalkboards. They don't even have a whiteboard yeah. in it. They don't have any interactive TVs, you know, Promethean boards or anything like that. Uh, technology is very, very low. The teachers are working off of extremely old computers. Uh, because of COVID, you know, they were able to secure a lot of Chromebooks for the kids. We're still not completely one-on-one. That's something that we're working towards. And even the skill sets of the teachers technology-wise is that they haven't really been required to keep up on those technologies. So we're in a process of trying to, to get them some PD to try to teach them how to utilize these for the best interest of the kids, because I'm afraid, at least from this school, that moving down the road, that they're not going to be equipped when they get to high school, whether they choose to go to a public high school or stay in private. So there are so many different things. That's really interesting. And and that is true in my area as well with the salary where the people who are working at the private school and and the one that I am thinking of is a Catholic school as well. Mm -hmm. I know that there are a number of different private school options that aren't necessarily um, Catholic or religious or, you know, there's there's different different options, but that is the that is what I've seen as well. And the other thing that is really interesting where. I think it does depend on the school, but just the idea of because you're not getting funding from the government, mm-hmm. um, the way in the way that the other schools are, that the standards that you have to align with, the way that you have to follow curriculum, the credentials that are required of the staff are different. Where it could be that could mean it's significantly better, or that could mean that it's not as good significantly worse (laughs) yeah like so what what are some things that happen just and I know that you probably maybe you network with other people in private Mm -hmm. schools as well now that you're in there that are happening from that standpoint so I think um the really the thing that the Catholic schools thrive on is fundraising Mm -hmm. so you have to have a a very solid homeschool association uh, you know PTO HSA whatever whatever you uh, refer to the the group as, and they need to raise a significant amount of money, uh, open and honestly. You know, looking at at my situation here, they weren't required to, for whatever reason, by the the previous administration. But when you look at the the tools that the teachers have to teach with and the materials that the students are using, we're talking about copyright uh, textbooks from 2003, Mm -hmm. Um, some even older than that it's it, to come in from a public school where you literally got whatever you needed, you know, anywhere between in New Jersey, we were spending between 14 and $20,000 a student, depending on the district that you're in to come in and really just try to piecemeal things together. And we have no substitute teachers. So I'm the substitute. That's, so we had a wow. We had a staff yeah. member who was ill. Unfortunately, she was very ill the last couple months of school you know, I ended up teaching eighth grade language arts for three months. So it's, you know, you're, you're just on call 24 yeah. seven, you know, your background is in speech language pathology. So I, I see our speech therapist once a week, she comes for one child. Mm-hmm. And then that gets paid through monies that we get uh, through title funds that we get after meeting with the public schools. So we had a meeting with, I had the meeting with our, with our public school, our local school district was, which is Verona public schools in New Jersey. We sat, we, we looked at, you know, soup to nuts. What is it that, that we, what are the, what are the things that we need? And then what can the school 
um, kind of apply for from the state of New Jersey and then what funds that we would get from them. So it could be anything from mental health for students to professional development for teachers to supplies and materials, which we we count on in order to, to get kind of the things that we need. But number one to, to make a school run is, is parents doing fundraising. And, you know, this year it's so hard to, I, I guess the one of the biggest, other biggest transitions, Karen, is to ask for stuff. Yeah. You know, how do you ask people for money? They're already paying tuition for yeah. the kids to come yeah. to school. And then you say, okay, well, then I need another $250 for this, another $500 for this. And uh, again, for 30 years, we never asked people for anything. And now it's, I think that was kind of the hardest thing for me to do is to just come in and start asking, hey, well, no, I need you to cut a check for this, or, you know, we need you, we need your financial support. And, and that's the thing, people are are incredibly generous. They they really are. Though we have a long way to go in our fundraising, um, I guess, goals that we have to meet, just the, the camaraderie and the, the sense of community is is com- is completely different. And the kids know that the, the, te- the teachers and the parents know that everything literally is for the kids. Yeah, that's good, because I know that that's not always the perception with fundraising and with asking for funds when yeah. you um, when I think that sometimes people just really have to know where the money is going and know that it's going towards what they think it or what they want it to be going towards. Yeah, absolutely. Like in, in, in public school, you know, all the HSAs and the PTOs, they raise these money. And mm-hmm. a lot of times those funds just sit in a, the PTO fund. And, and really there, there really shouldn't be a lot of money because again, those are, that those are parent funds that they're donating uh, into the school. So like you said, where are they going for? So every fundraiser that we have here is tied to something specific. So our last big end of year fundraiser, they called Lake Madness that was run by our HSA. They were able to raise $30,000, which is huge for our school because they've never done that before. But that money is going to put all brand new Promethean boards in every single classroom that we have here. So in one shot, you look at it, it was you know a, a wonderful opportunity for the school, for the HSA to provide that for the kids. And it's immediate um, immediate gratification to the kids because as soon as they come in September, they're automatically going to see and use that day, that first day, what their parents helped to provide for the school. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty amazing that you can see what it went for and, or what it went to, and you can see the impact right away and that the kids can see it too. Yeah. And we think that that's most important. You know, I had a professor in, in college a million years ago in graduate school, his name was Dr. Ron Armagall at Montclair State University. And, and he just said, listen, if you make every decision in the best interest of kids, then you've never made a wrong decision. They may not be the most popular decisions, but if it's 100% about the kids, then you can feel good about, about that decision. And that's what that's what we try to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you've done a lot of work with, because you came in to a school that needed a lot of work from a curriculum standpoint, from just updates and materials yeah and a lot of the work that you know with my special ed background we're thinking about not just the students who need to be pulled out you know for example the the student who's getting speech therapy services at your school but also what needs to happen in all of the tiers of the curriculum so it's like again not just thinking about those kids who are already qualifying but what needs to be done across the board and 
I know that in some of the communities that I'm in, there's almost this pushback on this idea of things being too standardized, there being a curriculum, people feeling like it's too cookie cutter, but you're probably seeing from your end what happens when you don't have the resources and structure and clear standards and everybody on the same page, uh, because then it's uh, like, you can have some problems when, when that's the case as well. So one of the, I know that you've used a particular framework mm-hmm. in order to turn things around. And I had some specific questions about that, but can you just tell us just a brief overview of the framework that you use and, and what the components are before we sure. get into it? Sure. So the, the framework that I utilized in, in public school was from the New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association. And uh, the woman who really is the the lead in, in the creation of this framework. Her name is Patricia Wright. And the framework is called the Connected Action Roadmap or CAR for short. Now, you know, it is really about total school reform. It is not just about um, academics. It is not, it, it's about climate and culture. It's about, you know, taking whatever the standards are and turning them into student learning objectives. So language that the kids understand and really language that is something that makes your entire school cohesive because every single class that they go to, every grade level that they go to, the teachers are speaking the same exact language. They're utilizing all the same terms. The kids become extremely familiar with that. What the biggest part, I think, in in public school that we found was the collaboration that it created between the teachers and the professional learning communities that that they were able to participate in. Just the amount of work that they were able to do in taking the standards and really creating units of study from the standards and breaking them down into when they should be taught, what part of the year should be they be taught in the beginning, in the middle, at the end, or should they be something that should be taught over the course of the year? When we first started to do this work and breaking down the standards, we found out that we were not teaching what we needed to from the beginning of the year. We didn't start it to the middle of the year. So we made those curricular decisions and we made those curricular changes and you know what happens in the very beginning is you take the framework and you take a rubric and you go through it as a staff and you look at what are the places that you are excelling in and and what are the places that you need some work in and you know there's no place that that doesn't need any work so it really just depends on on where you are and then you figure out, and that's where you begin. So it, it's not, you know, we don't, we really stay away from the term system or program because it's not, it's not a system. It's not a program. You don't start, there is no start from step one and then go to step two and go to step three. You tailor it to where your organization is. And we were blessed to be in a five-year cohort with this, with, uh, with Pat Wright and Donna McInerney, uh, Vicki Duff and Inel um, Carafa from the, uh, New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association, NJPSA, and just the amount of work that we were able to do. And um, we were able to take just our school and then we were able to spread it out throughout the district and take all four elementary schools, where if you were at an elementary school on the other side of town, your kids were exposed to the exact same content and the teachers were teaching the same non-negotiables, which they came up with, so that when the kids then eventually all came together into our middle school, they all had a common background. They all had that common knowledge and they all had that that common vocabulary that they were able to then just pick up. And we saw just tremendous growth socially and academically, um, growth uh, for uh, as professionals 
with our teachers, for their professional learning communities. Just the climate and the culture of the school completely changed. You know, climate's easy to change. Throw some donuts and bagels in the faculty room and yeah. everybody's feeling good for that morning. But that underlying culture that, you know, this is the way we do things, which is probably the worst phrase that we could do in education. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that took a little bit of time to change, but, you know, within three years, we were a well-oiled machine and the teachers really took tremendous ownership of it. And, and they did, you know, they deserve all the credit. We provided the framework. They, you know, they were the ones that, that really did the, the nitty gritty and, and were able to really show significant gains. You know, again, I'm not a big standardized test guy, but the percentage gains that we had following the same cohort of kids over three years was at, I think between nine and 12%. Yeah. which was which was huge, which we had never seen that, that type of growth before. So when you're doing that kind of work, it where do you see the different roles? Like, so you being a principal versus someone who's, if there's a curriculum director or a special ed director or people who are working directly with kids who maybe sort of emerge into a leadership position in their grade level or in their department, yeah. How do you see all those people playing into um, just this whole process of developing the learning community? Yeah. So uh, again, the, the the teachers are the worker bees, right? We we don't we don't take away from their knowledge, their expertise. In fact, we rely on it. Again, for, uh, from an administrative standpoint, whether whether you're a supervisor, you're a director, regardless of your position, you know you have to champion the work. If you don't champion the work, the framework will not work. It's literally as simple as that. Um, and it can just as easily fall apart as much as it, you know, as much as you put all that work together. It's nice to know that the place where I did leave, they still are doing that work. So again, they value it because it was it was their work. Yeah. It wasn't wasn't me telling them, okay, you have to do this. It was them making all the decisions on that on the classroom level to say, okay, this is what we know the kids need to know and be able to do. Now to try to transfer that into a private school is really difficult because where I am right right now, we're very small. We're only we only have two hundred kids, two hundred ten kids. There's only one of each grade level from pre K three all the mm -hmm. way up to eighth grade. So I don't have you know teachers here don't have colleagues to share the same work and the same plans, the unit plans and lesson plans that they create because they're basically on their own. So administratively for me, it's different in this year coming up because I will have to meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. I'll create all the frameworks for them that then they will, you know, it's really just a paradigm shift in how you how you do your lesson planning and, and how things work out. But eventually everyone was working in my previous district, everyone was working off of the same document for schools, the same document. So tw usually 12 teachers per grade. And then on a little side section, they would leave each other notes. Hey, this worked great in my class. No, I had a, I had a problem with this. My BSI kids, my special ed kids, and you can tailor the instruction to meet the developmental needs of the kids that are in your room. So when you had, that's interesting how you're saying it's, it's a document. The idea of a curriculum not being just a set of standards, not being a test score, but a living, breathing document that everybody's working off of. Yeah. So what, when you're, you know, and I know that just being in the, in the K-12 market and just having different feedback from people from all different angles, whether it's 
a curriculum company that's selling something to a district and trying to figure out what are people willing to spend money on versus people who are in the districts actually yeah. using the materials, figuring out what works, figuring out um, what skills they need to supplement the, the actual stuff. Um, what When you put that in place and you made it this collaborative process, it seems like sometimes we, it's almost like you lead with the curriculum, but then if you give people autonomy and designing it, I, I'm just curious what that did and how that actually did address some of the things as far as culture. Like what impact does that have on culture when maybe you lead with one thing, but the way that you do it could lead to another thing? Yeah, I think because, you know, it's your work. It's not my work. It's mm -hmm. not here. I did this. Now you have to do that. The only thing that the only the only, I guess, um, non-negotiable we gave them was in each math unit, each in each language arts lesson or unit, you have to come up with these non-negotiables that every single teacher promises. You know, it's it's their their promise that they are going to teach now. Teachers initially thought that it was going to take away, like you said, from their autonomy, from their, you know, what, but I love doing this or I love doing that. That's great. And the way that you teach is, is still you. You continue to be the wonderful person that you are and bring all of your skill sets in. We're only saying start with this. Once you've completed those four non four or five non-negotiables, then you can go in any direction you want to go into. So it's not that we're trying to to handcuff anyone, handicap anyone in any way, shape, or form. It was more of to create a standardized environment for the kids. Because again, you may, let's say you're a third grade teacher and every year you're going to do, you know, one of the things that they used to do in, in New Jersey is the New Jersey cake or, you know, and it was just the New Jersey projects. And that's what we did in third grade. Well, maybe in looking at the standards, maybe that's really not a third grade a third grade project. Maybe that's a fourth grade project. Mm -hmm. Maybe what we're doing in second grade, you know, that might be a little bit too early. Why don't we, we may have to push that back to third grade or later in the year. Um, you know, here we don't have any pullout for special education. So though we have students, they don't, they call them service plans. They don't call them IEPs. Uh, it's students who have service plans. They're not getting pullout instruction. They're getting additional supplement, which we would probably nationally call basic skills. Mm -hmm. But does, that doesn't necessarily that doesn't supplement their their education. So, you know, you're in, in a room with 20 other kids and you have someone who got it way before they even got in the room. You have the baseline kids that are going to get it at some point. Mm -hmm. But if you're one of the kids that has a really difficult time getting it, you're going to struggle a little bit more until, again, as schools, we're able to afford and provide these additional staff members. Yeah. But going back to, you know, the autonomy, like it, it's it. I think because they take ownership in the work, it's their work. They they have a lot of pride in that and they carry and that that changed a lot of the culture as well. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how the way that you do one thing, it just it changes the way that people feel about it, because culture is so it's so broad. Like you said, it's like, do you bring donuts in in the morning and do one of those quick fix things or what can you do long-term in order to change the way that people yeah. feel about the work or change the way that the, the students feel about coming to school and, and things like that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think uh, again, it's, you know, being a principal during COVID, we know teachers had it rough and it, but being a principal during COVID was the worst. It was the absolute worst. 
you know, on, on my LinkedIn, I, I really don't post a lot on LinkedIn. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll put something up there. But I found this little graphic that said something to the effect of, I know that my teachers are struggling, but, you know, and it listed, you know, four or five different things and said, you know, it's it, it's really just, it's tough being the principal. I just wanted someone to know. Yeah. And, I, you know, I just posted that and I said, you know, we're all here for each other, something to that effect, or this is the truth, something like that. We need, uh, we need attention. I think it got over 60,000 views. Wow. And I think the most anyone ever looked at some, I think I had 50 people maybe look at something, but, but it, you know, again, and during that time, you were just, you were, you had to do everything. You had to be the leader. And, and some of us, you know, were, were were able to do it. Some of us weren't able to do it. Um, and that I think really allowed us to either keep our culture and keep our climate or really destroy our culture and destroy our climate because it had to, you as a, as an administrator, it had to be, we are a group and we are here to support each other. And if someone needed something, you needed, you needed to be there to, to provide that for them. Um, but coming out of that, I think people had a real, a much better sense of, wow, we've created this, you know, we've really changed the culture here and we've really changed it to, we're making decisions in the best interest of kids and climate wise, we were still doing those fun things, you know, when, when the teachers were all in school, when they finally got back and, and we were working half days, you know, we had a uh, caring Cardinals card. So my school counselor, Nicole and I would, you know, buy all these candies and coffees and and sodas and waters and and walk around to everyone uh, on their break time and just give them a little a little pick me up. But it felt just as good for us to do that, and it, and mm -hmm. it, it built our you know it built our our self esteem and and made us feel good as much as it did for them. And I think that's the number one thing you could you know I had when I I, I taught in a middle school uh, thirty years ago and. I had a one of my eighth grade teachers when before one of the eighth grade teachers before I left said, Conroy, don't ever forget what it's like to be a teacher. She said, if you're going into administration, don't ever forget that. Think about that every single day, what it's like to be in their shoes. And and I've tried to do that. Sometimes I've done a great job of it. Sometimes I've done a lousy job of it. Um, but it's, you know, again, just being able to for them to take ownership of, of what they've done. I think it really, it, it changed itself because of them, because of the great people that were doing that work. I wanted to take a quick break here and talk a little bit about the time tracking journal. Many school teams think they're working on executive functioning, but they're making at least one of three mistakes. Mistake number one is that they're doing the executive functioning for students. If students are copying down to-do lists on a planner without engaging in internal planning and self-talk, they aren't actually practicing executive functioning. Mistake number two is not modeling enough self-talk. While we don't want to do the executive functioning for students by writing down the items in a list for them, we also don't want to throw them off the deep end without support so this means that we need to explicitly teach that internal planning process in order for kids to understand how to do it. And mistake number three is not addressing time blindness. Knowing what to do is just one of the skills needed to engage in goal-directed behavior. We also have to be able to estimate how long something will take and that's why we need to teach kids to sense time while they're doing multi-step tasks. And a lot of the timers that are used in schools 
don't adequately do this. So that's why many kids continue to struggle with keeping their things organized, getting their assignments turned in, regulating their emotions, or just overall motivating themselves to do things that are difficult. I've created the Time Tracking Journal to help address these three mistakes and teach kids the skills that they need to plan, self-regulate, and reach their goals. To learn more about the Time Tracking Journal, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash time journal. Now, let's get back to the interview. So with the idea of the professional learning community, this really intrigues me because when I was going through my administrative program, that was something that came up because a lot of times when once I was out in the field, when you do training, it's, you know, how do we how do we teach you about this new skill that you have to learn in order to do your job more effectively? And a lot of times it was go to a conference and then there's lecturing and then you don't have access to the people. And sometimes depending on what what it was, sometimes there might have been some kind of a follow up support or materials that you get. But a lot of times it's um, go to a training and then come back. And there wasn't as much of this ongoing learning community unless we went ahead, went above and beyond and created it for ourselves. I know in the, the speech and language department, we would we would try to do things and just meet regularly, even if it was just sort of specific cases that we would mm-hmm. be consulting on. But I am curious with when you were trying to create that alignment and use that framework, what it actually looked like from a standpoint of just operating procedures, because a lot of times when I am talking to people on the teams, and I'm not just talking about the teachers, but I'm talking about the the related service providers who are trying to figure out what's going on in the classroom and try to make what they're doing relevant and then communicate back with the teachers and maybe provide some training and then all work work with the other related service providers sure. like you know the speech pathologist trying to work with the social worker and the psychologist and i know that everybody tends to feel kind of siloed off and doesn't feel like they have those communities mm-hmm. um and that seamless alignment so how did when you were communicating with people across different districts uh mm-hmm. like different one grade level trying to communicate with another grade level across town like how did that actually look when you were just setting all of that up so that they could communicate with each other? Yeah. So when we first started, we pulled everyone out by grade level. So again, being in a public school, you're lucky. You have you know, a bunch of people that are willing to come in and substitute for the day. So I would be able with my you know, the assistant principal that I had, and and we were able to to pull, let's say, the entire first grade out, and they would come to my school. We would sit in the in the media center, and I would provide that that training for them just on the framework. Uh, the people that were in my school, we went down to the NJPSA headquarters at the time, uh, back in 2015, 2016 is when we started, and they gave us you know a professional development, which then in turn you know we t- we brought back. So we were not only developing our framework, we were developing teacher leaders before the, you know, before really teacher leaders were were out there and happening. Mm-hmm. Those t- teachers would come back and they would, I would let them run a faculty meeting. For us, we had faculty meetings every Monday was was the, what we had done, uh, but then they would present information. And then as a grade level, you had your own little community and then the speech language pathologist, the OT, the PT, what they could do is one these when all of these documents were created, everyone had access to it. 
So if you're a, a you know speech pathologist and you want to see what the first grade is working on and what skills they're working on and you know um, whether you're working on comprehension or whatever whatever you're mm-hmm. working on as a therapist, you could see what the standards and the skill sets were, and then you could utilize you know whatever professional resources you have to follow up on what the teachers were doing. Um, you know, it being it, again the, the the specialists that we have were in multiple schools. But I think they managed efficiently by by walking around, you know, they're pretty mm-hmm. much managing by walking around, as you know, going into classrooms and talking to teachers and having the, the, those informal conversations. But it wasn't just that, you know, I have someone who is, you know, for our tech and I'm going to do, again, one, two, three, four, five, because that's the the framework that when right. you work with someone for articulation, this is what you have to follow. No, it's much different than that, as you know. So utilizing, you know, they could utilize the framework as well, and they could build a um, they could build a repository of their lessons and and the things that they utilize because everything is hi- within the lesson plans and unit plans is hyperlinked. So we would take anything that we had. Let's say you were teaching first grade math and you were doing, you know, addition. If there was a worksheet or there was something within the the mathematics program that you were working with, you'd click on that link and it would automatically bring it up onto your Promethean board, your interactive board, where then the kids could go up and instead of just doing it in a workbook, they could go up and manipulate that that data and those um, those manipulatives that they have, not just on their, you know, not just in front of them on their desk, but on the screen as well. Um, and really just if you're a second grade teacher, you had access to first grade, the entire first grade curriculum, you had access to the entire second grade curriculum so that then we would talk like vertical articulation towards the end of the year. We mm-hmm. also kept, you know, notes on all of the kids. So where that what are their strengths? What are the things that they really need to work on? And just, you know, having that open communication, giving people time, you know, the, the thing that, the that, all, huge. that yeah, that, that mm-hmm. all, all additional staff don't have. You know, and, and it's not the time where then you go home and then you do all of your plans at home. And, and you know, what about your families? What about your loved ones? What about the things that you have going on in your life that, you know, it's it's your job. It's not your life. It's your job. And and you're going to do your best. And anybody that's in the field of education, um, whether you're a teacher or you're a specialist, you know, you're there because you want to make a difference in the lives of kids and you're there for all the right reasons. So I. I don't have to guess whether or not you're, you know, you're going to be prepared for that. And again, giving them that respect, giving people ownership, I think really made a a huge difference, I guess, you know, in in, in my time. Yeah. Well, and I could see with the, um, as we're saying that we need to be updated with just the tools that people use. Um, and, And obviously you can, there are we know that there are downsides when we're too digital and screens can cause issues, but there are things that we can do using digital tools that enhance what we're doing um, with being able to communicate. But I remember the way that I had to go and get information about the curriculum when I started was like we're photocopying things or you're I'm finding <laughs> this old dusty teacher's manual that's yeah. in the back of the room and the pages are all like water damage because yeah. it's the extra one nobody wants to use. So yeah. now that we can share things digitally, it does help with communication. And I'm always interested in those, again, the operating procedures. And I know that that is not the most exciting part. And that's not the only thing you want to make sure that you have 
you know, think about social, emotional. No, sure, sure. But if you can't communicate with each other and you don't have your your processes down, it's hard to know what's going on. And it is hard to hard to have that ownership. And then you start to feel, I know that people start to feel kind of, you know, like a like a lone wolf in their building without any support. And if there yeah. is some way to communicate, even though you can't replace face-to-face communication, yeah. something to supplement it so that you can get on the same page is I think always really helpful. Yeah. And again, it wasn't what what one of the reasons or one of the big selling points of this framework is that teachers never have to do lesson plans again. Yeah, that Ever. would be you, amazing. You, so, so all that time that you spend rewriting the same exact thing that you did the year before because somebody collects your plan book, you know, it, it's ridiculous. So, the, so you're able to go back and then you're able to modify based on the students that you have in front of you, not who was here last year or this year. So you already have all of this at your fingertips, and then you as a professional are deciding, okay. Joe Joseph needs a little bit more help in in this area. You know, uh, Sally needs a little bit more help uh, understanding this standard because, you know, are you looking to master the standard? You know, again, again, the three, everything is all is in threes. Are the, do, do they need to master it? Is it something that it's important for them to know, but it, they don't have to master it, or it's just some nice other information to to have. Mm-hmm. And technology, listen, it's a tool, and I think we we have to go back and always remind ourselves of. It's a tool. It doesn't right. replace teaching. Even mm-hmm. the AI stuff that's coming out, it doesn't replace a solid, loving, caring person standing in front of the room. It never, it never will. So, you know, again, people, you know, teachers are not obsolete. You know, good teachers are, are t- teach from their heart and they teach because it's what they really feel as though they were they were meant to do. Some teachers have a much larger skill set than others. It doesn't mean that the others are not capable of doing great things. They need guidance. They need maybe some additional training and that's mm-hmm. okay. But you know, what's their why, you know, you got and, and that's another thing of asking everyone, what's your why we use this framework. We completely rewrote our mission statement. We completely um, rewrote the way that we, that we have our norms in our PLCs. We completely redid the way that we do PLCs and, and, changing it up and having recorders and having, you know, note takers and having all of these other things, we scratched everything that we were doing and we put our faith in each other. And then utilizing the framework, we took the professionals that we had. And I feel, you know, in, in the building and where I just left, we, we created a, an amazing, amazing thing for teachers and kids. So I have a couple of questions about the PL, how the PLCs worked yeah. and how other outside supplemental training fits in. And then also I'm curious about assessment. That's another example of something where it's like, you know, not, it's not directly a cultural thing, but when yeah. you have too much emphasis on the test scores, it can impact the way that people feel about their work. Um, let's start with the PLCs. You mentioned okay. that there were, there was, you shifted the way that you did them. Can you just, and I know that a lot of people listening might know what that is, but can you tell us the definition of a PLC, what the purpose is, and then the before and after of of how you did things? Sure. So, you know, the professional learning community is a group of teachers, a group of therapists, whomever, who get together and meet and talk about best practices, talk about 
what it is that they're doing, you know, what 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 the planning processes are, what their expectations are. They talk about, you know, again, formative, summative assessments. They talk about all of the different things that are going on in their day to day and kind of planning for the future, planning for for where they they need to go. Um, the way that things really, I guess, were happening before I got there, and this is no fault of anyone, is because they didn't have a system in place. It was, okay, uh, on Mondays, grade one, you meet, grade two, you meet, and you talk about whatever. Well, mm-hmm. of course, what is it? And again, not a knock on anyone. It, it's just the truth. What does it become? It becomes a gripe session. Yeah. It becomes, you know, <laughs> totally. oh, you know, this kid was driving me crazy today. Oh, you know, I wasn't able to do this. I wasn't able to do that. So when we talk about reformulating the way that our our groups work on Monday, instead of me standing up there, a waste of time reading out bullet points to staff. First of all, they don't want to be there to hear that. (laughs) Second of all, it's a waste of everyone's time, including mine. So you communicate through, you know, through uh, we had a Google classroom for teachers and that's where all the information I would send out a weekly calendar. I would give it, you know, that's where all their updates came from. On Monday, it was work time for them. It was their work time. So they had an hour, 45 minutes to an hour after school every Monday. They would meet. They would be required to to to. I had a form that I put in Google Docs. So they had to fill out that form about what they talked about. If they didn't have a topic, I I could create a topic for them, but it was always centered around the framework um, and really just gave them a chance to create their own norms as to how our meetings are going to run. If someone's speaking, no one else speaks. If you have something to bring up and literally just very simple things, but they made the meetings run much more effectively. They, They allowed the teachers, again, to have choice, uh, just like we always say to the kid, you know, we want our kids to have choice. The teachers want choice as well. The teachers do not just want to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be a part of the process. So we made them a part of the process in literally everything that we did. Sometimes I had to mandate, listen, no, sorry, we're going to do this. But they they understood why we were doing it because I would give them an explanation. It wasn't that, all right, listen, I'm telling you to do this just because that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. No, it was, you know, we're going to do this because this is going to be what is the end product going to look like after we've we've begun this work or after we finish this work that, that we're doing. Um, and again, they took ownership of that. It, it created a very easy conversation for them. It kept it focused on whatever the topic was. And then they knew that they had to complete the log so that they as a reflection for them towards the end of the year, I would say, all right, go back, look at your 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 PLC logs. And then what that does is if for whatever reason you needed to change grade levels, you're going into that that new grade level with the same exact norms that you had in, in your other group. So that there's no change in procedure. There's no change in, in the way that we do things so that you know that these are the things that are expected of you and you know the, the way that the meetings are going to run so that you can, from the very beginning, be a part of that. The, the idea of having an agenda for the meeting, I know it sounds so simple, but I I just remember when I would go in informally to talk to a teacher, it, again, it would turn into event session. And sometimes it was like, okay, there was our 20 minutes and now it's gone. And we could have, yeah. we could have gotten down to business. And so th- that's one of the things that I talked about uh, my, my therapists who are kind of uh, trying to figure out how to how to be interactive in that process, just the idea of having an agenda and a framework to work through those meetings so that you stay on topic 
And then within the, that framework, that's where the creativity can come out. And that is, I do like the idea of a framework because if you, like if I, on my end, um, one of the things that I do in my work in vocabulary, a lot of times people will say to me, um, well, what vocabulary is appropriate for second grade? And I'm like, I, you know, a speech pathologist in central Illinois can't tell you what <laughs> is going on in yeah. a second grade classroom yeah. in New Jersey. So what yeah. you need is a framework. Yes, I can give you examples of vocabulary, which I do, but you need to have a framework to go into those meetings and those mm -hmm. conversations to ask the right questions and get get the information you need to make decisions. And so that's why I've kind of um, shied away of being too into creating Teachers Pay Teachers products. And I yeah. share more frameworks for decision-making yeah. to get into those meetings in the right way. And so I was going to ask something. Okay, so you're talking about the professional learning communities, the idea of here's how you run the meetings and sometimes bringing in somebody as an expert in their building and, and helping those people be a leader on their team. So we're, how do you make decisions about when you need to take someone from your building to lead a session or a training versus do we need an outside trainer and how does that fit in? And like, how do you navigate those kinds of situations? Yeah. You know what? I think we try to take um, the interest of the, of the teachers and build their leadership and their their ability level based on what their interests are. That way, what we're going to do is we're going to minimize the amount of out, outsourcing that we need to do. It's mm -hmm. going to save funding. and But what it also is going to do is it's going to give the teacher even more confidence to say, okay, these people believe in me. They believe that I'm able to to handle this this PD for our you know for the district whatever whatever it may be and and I think that's again I think that's important the, the whole ownership I'll go back and say this over and over again the ownership piece if people feel as though they're valued and they 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 own the work then they're gonna they're gonna continue to do that work with, with a lot of pride and and really a lot of um of, of their expertise is going to be focused in, in that area I think that having the teachers give those presentations helped us a lot and um, there wasn't any jealousy there wasn't any oh mm -hmm. you know this one thinks they're they're really cool now or that oh yeah. okay <laughs> they're, they're they're the favorite whatever it may be because everybody had an opportunity to do it mm -hmm. so if anybody were to complain you know the side conversation is looking listen you had an opportunity to do it as well you chose not to so because you chose not to doesn't mean that you get you know you're you're allowed to then knock somebody else for doing it and us and us supporting that and championing that that work um and i i think it brought people closer together i think it, it allowed for a lot more of the the smaller conversations to happen that weren't happening uh, i think um uh, his, historically and again we we tried to bring everyone together once a month so the entire first grade would meet you know once a month even if it was for a half day so we would get half day subs for the first grade and then in the afternoon those substitutes would go to the second grade and then we would pull all the second grade teachers. So it was, you know, we, we only needed maybe three days a month where we would have that, that work for the teachers. But mm -hmm. again, they were, they were doing all that work anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it, it's interesting because the times that when I was in, when I was working in the schools, the times that an outside trainer worked more effectively was when it was like, here's this outside person, but then here are these representatives or these people that are designated to be help that are in the district to mm -hmm. then go train the other people. Yeah. Like that was 
That was RTI benchmarking when we had to figure that out. Yes, we had to bring in the Ames Web guy to show us how to use Ames yeah. Web, but then we needed people who were in the district to show the teachers and everybody else how to be um, a support. So yeah, and, and I think that was one of the things that we were trying to get teachers to understand is yeah, listen, just because they're from the outside doesn't mean that they know more than the people that we have in this room. Yeah. yeah. And I think that historically that's the way the teachers and administration may have, you know, may have looked at things that, oh, we need to bring somebody in from the outside because if someone from the inside, they're not going to look at it the same. Unfortunately, that still happens a lot. Yeah. I know that that happens mm -hmm. a lot, but why not? Why not utilize the expertise of the people that are that are in your, you know, that are in your district or in your school? Like, there's no like the speech therapist in 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 my school at a faculty meeting. She should be able to have conversations about our tech to the to the primary grades and yeah. you know comprehension to maybe the upper grades or whatever the case may be, and to give those strategies and give that background. Same thing with our with our special education teachers. Hey, how do I break down this skill for the for this student to to help them out? They're you know they're not a classified kid, but they're having a really rough time. You know why can't I go to my special one of my special ed teachers and say, hey, can you help me out with a strategy? And I think that we we found that happening more and more. Yeah, especially with the special ed piece, knowing that you can use those strategies in your classroom globally and it can help all of your students and it can also help the students who specifically need it but that it can be something that is just another tool in your toolbox that you can learn or that and that you can use for your students not just the ones that are identified yeah and our ot was running a zone yeah. of regulation for everyone so any teacher that wanted to be a part of that training she was working with them before school after school lunchtime to implement that into their into their classroom as well and that that was a ama an amazing look at teacher leadership and you know she wasn't mm -hmm. a designated teacher leader but she really did some great work with that yeah so i know that we're getting closer to the the time that we need to wrap up i wanted to ask you really quickly about the the formative and summative assessment piece just because this is something that comes up a lot for my listeners not um cuz they're the people that have to do the evaluating and a lot yeah. of times they have i get a lot of questions about you know, what's a good evaluation for language or executive functioning or social emotional or all of those different things. And that is part of what, what a, a specialist would do for their evaluation. But I always encourage people to use a portfolio approach mm -hmm. and not just rely on those formal standardized assessments, because yeah. that is just this tiny sliver of information. So how did you, uh, with with the teachers, help them to use kind of a, more of a global approach in addition to the standardized testing that you had to do? Yeah. So part of the framework is on formative and summative assessments. And really it's, you're looking to create your homegrown assessments. The work that you're doing with the kids is not, you know, I'm not going to, why am I going to pull something off the shelf, which is just, you know, designed for the masses mm -hmm. where then I can, we can, as a group, create something just as good or better. And mm -hmm. going to focus on again looking at what standards we covered. It's and and the way that kind of I approached it last year was I used a lot of Diane Sweeney student centered coaching and a lot of okay what are, what are the standards that we're working on and then how are we going to assess that when we finish this unit? Is it just going to be a unit assessment? Is it going to be a weekly, you know, quick two minute uh, two minute assessment that we were going going to work on? And then formatively, 
you know, summatively, it's okay, what are we looking for? Are we looking to create this assessment that, you know, goes from what they should have mastered, what it's what's good to know, and what maybe they, you know, they don't really need to know? No, what's the sense of, of really getting kids stressed out about not giving you the, the information that they really need to know and be able to do? Create your summatives, create your assessments based off of what you're looking for them, what, what performance you're looking from them in the classrooms. So we took, listen, all, our, you know, the New Jersey uh, student learning assessment is a standards-based assessment. Mm-hmm. So we create, we just took the standards that they had in New Jersey, we formulated them into units of study, and we assessed formatively and summatively on those standards. Why create, again, and, and assess all of these different things that aren't the main pieces of information that not only are we looking for them to, to know and be able to do, but the state is looking for them to do it as well. So I, again, I found out the more we had more success on tailoring, using the framework to tailor to, to our needs and, and the kids in our school than we did looking at, you know, these canned programs of, um, you know, test prep and things like that. Because if you, st- if you teach, sta- if you do standards-based teaching and your report card is a standards-based report card, you're test prepping all year long, which is, is how it should be. Because yeah. it should be second nature to the kids. When the kids see a prompt, the prompt on this the, on the test that they take, the state test, should be a prompt that they've seen wording-wise, of course, not the same one, but the, the phrasing should be exactly identical to what they're used to working with. So this way, they're just, they're so used to it, it's second nature to them by the time they get there. There's not, okay, so in April, we're going to test prep, April's test, press, test prep month. Yeah. And here's our oh, test prep is. unit. That you you out of ten months you now lost now you lost a whole month of of instruction for the kids. You just you build it into your curriculum. You build it into your your planning, and then they will absolutely. You know they don't after a while they don't know any better. This is how we write when when you when you're writing uh, doing a, a short response or a long response. You know our teachers created formulas for the kids. That's how they wrote. They use their own, you know, they use their creativity, but they wrote it in a framework that we wanted them to write it in. Yeah. And it, it was it was succinct, but it was thorough and it made them really, truly. Un- we we got to know exactly what we wanted. This is what we wanted. This is the information we wanted from you. And, and you told us what's the sense of tricking kids and, and trying to, you know, confuse them with with the phrasing of of questions and, and things like that. That's. Again, just one person's opinion. I don't think that that's helpful at all. Yeah, oh, I that used to throw me off so much with tests where it was like it's you shifted and it's worded differently and you don't recognize what is this what am I supposed to do here? What is what am I being asked to do right now? And that was always so challenging and like I remember personally just getting it in my head like I'm not good at this skill or whatever and just because I on that one test that score said this one thing and and something that I talk about with with the support personnel that are responsible for doing the evaluations a lot of times it's the same concept of absolutely yes you have your standardized assessment that has been normed through this population which there are some that are pretty good, but there's a lot of bias in there and issues with sensitivity and specificity of yeah. are they identifying the students that actually are in need of services? Are they helping you 
to truly diagnose the issue and, and figure out what you need to work on, the idea of you can create a framework for doing your intervention that is, you know, like you're teaching a specific skill and that that could also be your assessment so that you can, you can assess as you're going that it's the idea of um, in the therapy world, it's called like, like diagnostic treatment. You are yeah. diagnosing, you're assessing while you're teaching so that it's not like you said, testing, teaching, and it's separate and you're losing teaching time because you're spending so much time yeah. prepping for the test. Yeah. And again, uh, uh, go back to the beginning of formative assessment, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Well, kids are always going to say thumbs up if they don't want to be bothered, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it takes the relationship with the teacher where a kid is going to do 10 times more for someone who they feel valued by and understood by than, you know, someone else. If a kid really doesn't understand it and they trust you and they genuinely trust you, they're going to show you a thumbs down. So you're going to be able to do that just in a, you know, in, a, in just when you're, when you're just scanning the classroom. Mm -hmm. So that just tells you that, okay, I need to work with this person. They also, listen, teachers also know because they're walking around all the time. They're never just sitting at their desk. You know, they can look at the work that the kids are producing. But again, having those specific skills, your therapist, having those specific skills, you know, a thing that, that a wonderful thing would be for your, you know, your therapists, uh, the, all your listeners to create their own group outside of here to work on something specific and then come back on the show and, and, yeah. and, and share with you, hey, here, check this out. This is something that we created that we thought maybe all your listeners would benefit from. That right. would be something that would be extremely powerful. Well, I'm working on trying to make that happen. So we could do it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I know you could do it. Well, I know that we're getting close to the top of the hour. So I wanted to uh, to wrap up it. But I also know that you are you have some things that you're working on in the coming years. So what uh, what are you working on in the next year and where can people connect with you? Uh, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Tom Conroy. And you can also email me at tconroy at myoll.org. Our website is myoll.org. We are, again, a very small Catholic school. I, you know, I, I wanted to have my own podcast up and, and running already about Catholic education and the differences between Catholic and public education. I, I'm not there yet. I need, I need to do a, a little bit more research and I'll be picking your brain more, Karen, yes, um, with, sure. that, with that as well. But again, how to support, you know, really looking to, to how to better support the, the Catholic school community and, and really get the kids the, the services that they really deserve and, and we need. Um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of times, you know, we don't have we don't have school counselors. I'm not a school counselor. I'm not a therapist. Yeah. You know, I, you, you do your best to, to have these conversations with the kids. But when they're coming down and with a specific issue that, you know, it, it may not be in my skill set and, and I don't feel comfortable uh, with that. I think it's, you know, that's a part of the the, the premise of of what what I would like to do. But, you know, anytime, anything that anyone needs in, in your listening community, I'm more than happy to help. And I know that we'll, we'll be working together as, yeah. as well in the future. So I'm really excited about that. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Best to everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for all the places you can go to connect with Tom. Also, remember to check out the Time Tracking Journal if you want a tool that's going to 
help you build executive functioning skills that kids need in order to plan, self-regulate, and reach their goals. A lot of people in education are teaching kids strategies and giving them tools, but if your students don't know when, how, and why to use a strategy, they won't be motivated to use it no matter how much you reward them. Part of that internal motivation comes from their executive functioning skills, which I help you build in the Time Tracking Journal. To learn more about how you can get access, you're gonna wanna go to drkarendudakbrannon.com backslash time journal. Before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that it helps me so much if you leave me a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And finally, if you are interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a recommendation for a guest, please reach out to me at talk to me at drkarenspeech.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.